Well, I appreciate <clears throat> Jim's words. It is fitting. Um, sacrifice is, is, is sacrifice is what life is about. Certainly, sacrifice is what Christianity is about. Jesus giving himself for us, for you and me, live eternally. And, 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 and many people expressing courage and love, giving of themselves. So I appreciate what he had to say. Wes, you keep working at it, man. One of these days, you're going to find that gift the Spirit gave you to serve. Uh, I don't know what it is yet, but you keep practicing, all right? You'll get there. Poor guy. No gift, no talent at all. I don't know how he makes it through the day. It's incredible. A couple of things I do want to talk about just, just before we start here. Um, VBS, of course, again, um, I want to talk about. It's the biggest thing we do all year long. Um, one of the things we did a couple of years ago is uh, we used a little boat, a little John boat, and, and, and pulled people, pulled kids around the pond. Uh, and uh, Mike sold that boat. I, is it, I don't even, Mike, you sold that boat, right? You got rid of that boat, or it sunk, one of the two. Uh, so uh, if you got, if, if you can lay hold of something like that, we're still looking for it so we can use that again based upon our missions and uh, the focus of our missions being Central Brazil Mission um, and the uh, boat that they take down the Amazon River. Um, also, uh, the elders were talking on Monday, and this probably comes as no shock to many of you. I, I think it's, we think it's appropriate at this place and at this point to dispense with a lot of the safety uh, measures that we've been taking uh, officially, dispense with it over the past uh, year, year and some months. We're still going to make a few things available, and we're still going to do some of the same practices for a little while. Uh, some of the ways in which we serve and some of the ways in which we're able to uh, uh, take our offerings and things like that. Uh, I'll sit down with Addison and, and we'll talk about that and see what direction we want to go. But for the most part, things are kind of back to normal. And you can just tuck that away and use that any way you want. Uh, we knew that was going to be the case eventually. Sure enough, surprise, surprise, here we are, right? So just roll with the punches uh, for most of the things in life, I think, is what we can learn. There are <clears throat> two kinds of people in this world, and only two. We sometimes get a little confused, or uh, we, uh, we doubt when someone says something like that, that there's only two kinds of people in this world. Last week, we talked about the truth of people being caught in the net, fish being caught in the net. Being caught in the net leads to death. We can flip and we can flop and we can swim and we can move, we can do all kinds of things, but the fact is we're caught in the net. And if we're caught in the net, we're going to die. But then there's the children of God. In other words, there's those who are facing death and those who are facing life. Put it this way, there's two kinds of people in this world, those who are slaves and those who are free. 
those who are slaves and those who are free. Every year, well, at least for the past four years, um, on, on this weekend, Sam and I go for a walk. We go for a walk in the cemetery right there by our house. And uh, he asks the same questions every year. And I think we'll continue to walk until he doesn't ask the same questions every year. Uh, he asks the same questions about gravestones and markers and <clears throat> why sometimes there are flags and sometimes there are not. Uh, we did not take our walk yesterday, as we usually do. We'll take our walk today. And uh, it, it affords an opportunity <clears throat> to explain that there are many people that have passed away, many people that have died, so that uh, he and I can enjoy some freedom. He and I can enjoy wonderful things and beautiful things. God used these people. Uh, but ultimately, uh, eternal freedom comes only from Jesus. And we, we use that, that freedom. We like that freedom. It comes to define who we are. Uh, in fact, we, we don't want to let that go. We, we look at other places and people around the world. We say, I don't want to be that. I want to be free. <clears throat> Yet some, and this is what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, some have self-imposed bondage. Some go back in to bondage. Back into bondage. What is that? Just a nicer way of saying slavery. Right? They go back into slavery. So many people have heard about the freedom of Jesus. Some people understand the freedom of Jesus Christ. And yet, they're so used to being in bondage that it's hard for them to accept a wonderful and incredible gift, a sacrifice. I told you at the beginning of this series that many of us do not have a generosity problem. We have an acceptance problem, an acceptance problem, an incredible gift, an incredible sacrifice, and we have a hard time accepting that graciously. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the love that you have given us. We thank you for the, the incredible expression of love on the cross, Father. We thank you also for those instruments, those men and women that you use to, to defend and to help, to lead, Father, even to the point of self-sacrifice, and we thank you for that as well. Father, today we ask that you help as you have been, help open our eyes and help us become certain that we want to be the free child. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. We're actually going to be in Galatians chapter 3 for a little bit, and then we'll get into Galatians chapter 4. This is our fourth part <clears throat> of a six-part series. We've got two more Sundays, and then we go into our Vacation Bible School series. But we finished up last week, and again, this, this, this entire letter is Paul stopping the bleeding so far, all right? He's performing triage. There's a group of people that have gone from accepting the grace and gift of Jesus Christ to, for some reason, thinking that now 
they have to earn the love of Christ. Now they have to earn salvation. Now they've got to be uh, uh, underneath the thumb of the rule book in order to find salvation. And Paul's got to stop the bleeding. He says this, this way of life, this mentality leads to death because you are rejecting the gift of Jesus Christ. He will talk about, and I, I say this every week, don't I? He's going to talk about the important things of, of, of doing good and living righteously as a result of our salvation in Christ. All right, He's going to get there in chapters 5 and 6. But again, before he does that, he's got to stop the bleeding. He's got to free us from the net, and then in 5 and 6, he'll teach us how to swim. Okay, But we are free fish who believe in Jesus Christ. We finished up last week at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. I love how God doesn't stop before faith in this line. Because we're tempted. This world, this culture, definitely this culture, is tempted to think that God stops before He gets to faith. That you are all children of God, period. And that's it. That's life. I am saved because I exist, we think very often. No, God doesn't stop before faith. He says, you are all children of God through faith. But the other thing I like about this line is he doesn't add to the line after faith. He doesn't say you're all children of God through faith plus all of the good stuff you do. He says, no, you're children of God through your belief in Jesus Christ. That's your definition. That's how we gain this incredible freedom. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, been covered over by the sanctifying power, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this we see from the very beginning. I told you last week that the entire Bible is told in the first three chapters of Genesis. And don't take my word for it. Read through it yourself. And then it's told over and over and over and over and over again until we get to Jesus. All right? In the first three chapters of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve sin against God. And not just any sin. It's an incredible sin. Their sin is to take over the power of God, to take over the authority of God. What was the temptation? You will be like God. It's this incredible response to this pride. We want to be in the place of God. I don't know if it gets any worse than that. And so what do they deserve when they separate themselves from God, want to usurp the power of God in their own life? They deserve death. But God doesn't kill them, does he? He didn't kill Adam and Eve. God doesn't kill Adam and Eve because he doesn't like killing people. That stuff happens throughout Scripture. I get it. But that's not the nature of God. That's not the joy of God, to destroy life. What does he do instead? He kills an animal, we find, takes the skin of that animal, and makes clothes for him. Why? Because the separation from God has exposed them to a broken relationship and it's exposed them to their own personal shame. What does God do? He covers them with a different death. Not their own death. He covers their shame with a different sacrifice. All of that point is Jesus. Now Paul says, you have been covered 
by Jesus Christ. You have been clothed by Jesus Christ if you believe in Jesus. This covering of Adam and Eve was a temporary covering. Just as the Old Testament law sacrifices were temporary coverings. But now Jesus is here. What an incredible time to live. You and me, Paul, living in this place, this time in history that Jesus has already been on the cross. Jesus has already risen from the dead. We can see it. We get to look back and see it. We're not looking forward and trying to understand it. We get to look back and see the entire story. Jesus is here, and all who have been baptized into Christ have been permanently covered by Jesus Himself. That is our sin. That is our shame. That's who the children of God are. The children of God are those who accept Jesus covering them, not those who try to cover themselves. If you try to cover yourself, you are not a children of God. And it's ironic, isn't it? I, I, I don't blame you if you think that it sounds a little strange. You know, Paul saying, the preacher saying on Sunday morning, hey, look, it's not about doing good. <laughs> Salvation is not about good, how good you are. Salvation is about how good Jesus is. And you either accept that or you reject that. That's what salvation is about. Are there results from that? Are there fruits from that? Yes, there are. And Paul will get there as well. 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. By the way, this slave or free, Paul is talking about the physical sense or the political sense, the temporary sense. Read through Philemon. You can see that. Paul says, hey, look, I'm going to send Onesimus back to you, but I don't want you to bring him back as a slave in your home. I want you to bring him back as a brother in Christ. So Paul here is talking about the actual physical sense of slavery here. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That is the promise that God gave Abraham that he's going to save people through Jesus Christ. This is one of the most misinterpreted pieces of Scripture. If you keep up with anything like that, I'll tell you, they... Satan drags us through the mud all the time. It's just one of his best weapons. What Paul's trying to say is there's no division here, okay? There's no partiality or favoritism that God is showing. That's what he means by this verse. If you're a Jew that believes in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus for salvation, you're saved. You're covered by Christ. If you're a Gentile who believes in Jesus Christ, you're covered by Christ. The same is true of the physical the, the, the physical slavery or free. If you believe in Jesus, you're covered by Christ. Men, women, young, old, if you trust Jesus, you're clothed with Christ. For that matter, it's not even good or bad. It's not even good and bad. Well, what does Jesus say? Well, he, he's approached by a Pharisee. He's approached by someone who wants to learn. And, 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 and the one who approach him, approaches him says, good teacher, Actually, it wasn't a Pharisee that said this. Anyway, the one who approaches him says, good teacher. And he turns around and he says, nobody's good. Nobody's good. Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God himself. And so our salvation division here, Paul says there's no division. It doesn't hinge upon men or women or Jew or Gentile or slave or free. It doesn't hinge upon even good or bad because we're all bad. It rests upon the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
If you trust Jesus, you are heirs to the promise of love and forgiveness of salvation given to Abraham 4,000 years ago. So we are not saved by the rule book. We're not saved by the Old Testament law. And we're not saved by checking off more good boxes than bad boxes. We're not saved by the rule book. Why aren't we saved by the rule book? Paul says, think of it this way. In chapter 4, 1 and 2, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir, that's those who believe in Jesus, as long as an heir is underage, he's no different, really, than a slave, if you think about it. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is still subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. The heir is still ordered around. You must do this. You must do that. And you got to do it this way, and you got to do it that way. And if you don't, you're going to get in trouble, right? Or you're going to be on the outs, or we're going to have to discipline, or we're going to have to do something. Paul says an heir really isn't a whole lot different when they're underage than someone who's in bondage. So also, he says in verse 3, when we were underage, that is the human race. When we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Paul's not just talking about himself. He's not just talking about the Galatians. He's talking about humanity. We human beings, that is the way it is with us. When we were minors or when we're minors, we're just like slaves ordered around by simple instructions. That's the Old Testament law. That's the one that comes along and says you got to do good if you're going to get to heaven. You got to do good. I hate that. I hate that so much. There are a few things in the world I hate more than that. You got to be good if you're going to get to heaven. Now, you got you to trust Jesus if you want to inherit the kingdom. See, I want to do more than just get to heaven. I want to own the kingdom. That's when an heir is. He's a future owner, isn't he? You got to trust Jesus to become heirs of the kingdom. We really, when we're children, have no say in the conduct of our own lives. What's Paul saying? The the good list, the bad list, the Old Testament law, he says, the rule book is for children. The rule book's for children. 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul is talking about living a life of love towards God and man, he says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Paul is trying to tell the Galatians, grow up. Grow up. You still think there's a checklist. And if you get through this checklist, you're going to be allowed into heaven. Paul says it's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's an internal transformation of the very way you see reality. It's accepting the truth of Christ. Hang on to that 1 Corinthians 13. That's going to be an important passage next week. I wouldn't stick your finger in there all all week long, but we'll be talking about that next week a little bit too. Verses 4 and 5, Galatians chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Born in the jail cell, really. Born under bondage. Born as the slave. That's what he's trying to say. Born in this, this, uh, this underage mentality where there's still the rules and the orders and the laws. And only those things put you in the good grace 
of God. Born of a woman, born under the law. That's where Jesus started. Now, why did he start there in verse 5? To redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship. And that's what Jesus does. He redeems us. That's what he does to you. I talked about this last week, and this is just one of the greatest words there are. People have, people have done this same thing with other people. Buy back to set free. And he bought us back with his own life. Don't cheapen the sacrifice of Jesus. Every time, every time we give up on the gift of Jesus Christ, we cheapen him on the cross. When the time arrived that was set by God, the Father, God sent the Son. Born among women, born under the conditions of the law. So he could redeem those that the law had kidnapped. Thus, we're set free to experience and live out our rightful heritage. We have the right to the kingdom. Well, that's what you're looking at, by the way. But we can just cut through the fluff for a second. When you're looking at me, you're looking at someone who has a right to the kingdom of God. When I'm looking at you, anybody who has accepted the truth of Christ, I'm looking at somebody who has a right to the kingdom of God. Don't pretend you're a guest there, all right? You have a right to the kingdom of God that cannot be taken away. I have a right to the kingdom of God that cannot be taken away. And let me tell you something. If that sounds presumptuous to you, if it sounds prideful to you, perhaps we still struggle with the doing good to be saved. When I was a kid, which feels like yesterday, um, I was real young. Uh, I would uh, I'd get off the bus, you know, and walk up the driveway, go inside, throw my books on the on the table, if I remembered to bring my books home with me, uh, go through the fridge and, you know, cupboards looking for a snack, um, you know, whatever it was, that's, that's, that's what I'd do. Sometimes I'd go outside and play, sometimes I'd see what cartoons are on, you know, whatever. Never once. Now, I hesitated at the end of the lane once in a while if I was in trouble and had a note sent home from school, okay? That, that, that happened. But never once did I stand at the end of the lane. Never once did I stand at the, 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 uh, at, at the edge of the front door and wonder if today I did enough to earn the right to go home. Did I do enough to earn the right to walk inside? Did I do enough to earn the right to walk down the lane? You see, that's what this doing good nonsense is for salvation. I'm saved today because I've done good and I've done enough. What about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saved tomorrow. I knew every day that I could stroll down the lane. I knew every day I could walk into the house. I knew every day I could go through, rummage through the cupboards to see what was there for a snack. Why? Because I was a child of the owner. I was a child of the creator, mom and dad there, that home, that house. Those who accept Christ are covered with Christ. They're children of God. Guys, don't stop at the edge of the kingdom and wonder if you've done enough to go home. Did I do the right things today so that Jesus loves me? Is he going to yell at me when I walk through the door? 
Paul says, you've got to get rid of that because, remember, we said this last week, if you give up on a part of Jesus, you give up on the whole thing. There's no such thing as Jesus divided, okay? You give up on a part of him. You give up on the whole thing. Verse 6 says, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted into the family of God as his own children because God sends the spirit of his son into our lives, into our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, that gives us the assurance of salvation and not anything that we do. No human source gives us the assurance of salvation. No wonder people walk around scared. No wonder people walk around confused. No wonder people walk around trying to get theirs because they think somehow in some way that this eternal destiny is unknown and uncertain. There's an absolute certainty through the Holy Spirit, through those who have accepted the truth of Jesus. I've known quite a few people actually now who have been uh, adopted by loving parents. Uh, when I was younger, I, I, I didn't know. I, I mean, that was new to me, right? But as you get older, you, you come to understand there's, there's quite a few people that you interact with that have been adopted by loving parents. And, and one of the things that strikes me is that it's not the children that adopt. It's the parents. It's the parents that go looking. It's the parents that find. It's the parents that initially start building this relationship. It's the parents that start going through the work and the steps in order to build the family. We are sons and daughters of God. It's God who brings us into this family. And this is close, this Abba, Father. This Abba is a term of endearment in Paul's day that kids use to express or to address their dad. And we get that same closeness. And I think that that's probably the best way to see our Father in heaven is this close dad relationship. You know, mom, dad, we, we just celebrated Mother's Day. Um, we will celebrate Father's Day. But I like the term mom and dad because I think it's a noble term. I've expressed this to you before. It's not mother or father. That might be a little too formal. It's not, you know, their first name. That's way too familiar. But mom and dad, that's a, that's a special title right there. And, and this is the same relationship, this same title that we have for the father who brought us into the family through Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says this, so you are no longer a slave but you are God's child. And since you are his child, that is through belief in Jesus Christ. Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Not an error, but an heir. And if you are an heir and not a slave, treat yourself like one. That's another problem we face. People say, I believe in Jesus. We, we, we fall into the same category as the Galatians. Too many people, I believe in Jesus, but not really. And so we don't treat ourselves like an heir to the kingdom. Treat yourself 
like an heir to the kingdom of God with all the rights thereof and, frankly, with all the responsibilities thereof. Verses 8 and 9, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? The Galatians acknowledge that Jesus died for them. That he forgave his, their sins. That he rose from the grave. Paul says, how is it you're going backwards into trying to earn this for yourself? Before accepting Christ, the Galatians were slaves to false gods that had no power but demanded a certain way of life. They were even slaves of themselves and their own fear and their own inadequacies. They were slaves to sin and slaves to death. But we are known by God through Christ. Why does he say that? You ever wonder that? Why does Paul say, Paul say, you are known by God? It goes back to the adoption analogy. It goes back to the adoption analogy. First, he says, but now that you know God, then he says, forget that. What I really mean is you are known by God. God got you. He found you. He saw you. He knew you. And he brought you into his home. You are known by God. That's the adoption analogy into sonship. Then Paul addresses the very same thing we talked about last week. That is being institutionalized. Do you really want to go back there? Do you really want to go back there? You know, it can be enjoyable sometimes. You can have moments of joy, moments of happiness. When I was, you know, single, I, I, I had moments of joy, moments of happiness. Now I'm married to someone I love very much. I don't want to go back there. Are you kidding me? And there was times of fun and times of joy, and there were some good days before we had kids, before Sam was born. But I don't want to go back there. Are you kidding me? Based upon what I've seen and what I know now. And Paul says, you accepted Jesus, you were saved, you're loved, you embraced that, you knew that, you were set free. Do you really want to go back there and to think you got to earn this? 10 through 11, you're observing, church, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. He says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Look, we celebrate as well, Okay. We're not separated from Christ simply because we celebrate. Easter's a big deal around here. It should be. There's nothing wrong with that. The point is that celebrating those days doesn't save you, okay? You celebrate the day of Easter. Sometimes you celebrate the day of Christmas. Like, that doesn't save you or condemn you. It's meant to be a celebration, not an obligation. The Galatian church was saying, look, if we don't... If we don't honor these special days, God's going to hate us. And we don't carry ourselves these certain ways, God's going to hate us. We don't say the right things, sing the right songs, dress the right way, know the right people, have the right job. We haven't earned this love. What does Jesus say of the Sabbath, speaking of days and months? Mark 2, 27, then he said to them, look, guys, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to serve people. People were not made to serve the Sabbath. 
says Jesus. Easter, Christmas, things like that is meant as a celebration. It's not meant to serve that so that we can be saved. They were doing the very same thing here in Galatians. So if you feel you have to do these things, you're missing the point. If we feel we're obligated to do such things or must do such things, look what Paul says, I fear for you. I fear for you. Well, I got to be there. I got to celebrate. I got to do this thing. Paul says, I fear for you if that's the way you think. I fear for you, he says, not fear for himself. I fear for you, and I also fear that my time was wasted with you, but I'm scared for your life. I'm scared for your very soul. If you think you got to jump through these hoops to be saved, you got to do one thing to be saved. Give your life over to Jesus Christ. If we don't think that, then our whole time has been wasted. Our entire profession of Christ is for nothing. And I hope that you're not offended by this. I encourage you not to be, because that's the truth that many of us forget that we are saved only by Jesus Christ. We want to be told the truth, or so we say. Well, here it is. And Paul says the same thing in 12 through 16. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. He puts himself on the line all the time. He says, become like me. I became like you. You did me no wrong. You helped me out when I got there. You didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. I was sick when I showed up and you took care of me, probably had malaria. Verse 15, he says, where's your blessing now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? We say we want to hear the truth. The truth is that Jesus saves, not you. You can't save yourself. You can't save anybody around you. Verse 20, how I wish I could be with you. We're skipping a little bit. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am so perplexed about you. He says, I'm astonished. It makes no sense that you would willingly go back into bondage. bondage. Paul closes this section with saying, there are two kinds of people in this world and only two. Look, you can hate hearing that. That's fine. But like before, you hate truth. There are those who are set free by Jesus and those who remain in bondage by themselves. Sweet little old lady down the road. Yep, her too. There are those who are saved by the grace of Jesus and those who are not saved. The reason this series is entitled God's New Creation is because of this right here. There's the old and the new. God wants the new creation. He wants you to be the new creation. He doesn't want you to hold on to the old creation. He wants to transform you into the new eternal creation. There are not different levels of salvation. There are not different quantities of salvation. There are not different standards of salvation. God says, look, you want to call yourself sons and daughters of Abraham? That's fine. But remember this. Abraham had two sons. One born of a slave woman and one born of a free woman. Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the kind of person that wants to live in this old, collapsed, fallen city of Jerusalem? Or are you the kind of person that desires the eternal free city of Zion? Let me just read through this and we'll close with this. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, this is verse 21. Are you not aware that what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. 
his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of this divine promise that God made to Abraham. Now, bear in mind, he says in verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively here, okay? I'm just trying to prove a point. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are slaves under the law. That's Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that's above is free, and she is our mother. It's written, Be glad, barren women. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Verse 28, Now you, brothers and sisters, are like Isaac, you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same way now. Verse 30, but what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman, that is those who are trying to earn it. Slave woman and her sons will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. One of the things that I like about this, and if you read quickly, you're going to miss it. After everything that Paul has said to the Galatians, after everything he has said to them about misunderstanding and misinterpreting, misrepresenting the grace and beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ, he says this in verse 28. He says, we, we read through it once, I just want to read it to you. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Up until now, he's been yelling at him, basically, right? What does he say? You are. Not you were, and you've screwed that up. Not you will be. You are children of the promise. Yes, you've made some mistakes. Yes, you're stumbling and bumbling through this thing as you're trying to figure it out. But that doesn't mean Jesus has given up on you. You still are children of the promise. He says, I want you to understand that your life is based upon that beautiful promise. I want that to define who you are. I want that to set you free. And I don't want anything to enslave you again. Yes, says Paul, I've been yelling at you. But you are the children of the promise. He gives them one of the greatest things that we can ever give. He tells them, you're not beyond hope here. We've messed up as a church, he says to the Galatians. Let's get back on track. Let's just get back on track here. Let's continue to give our lives to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus loves us and he died for us. We thank you, Father, that uh, we can learn from this incredible uh, uh, description, incredible example in the Galatian churches. Father, we ask that we put our lives in the hands of Jesus and not in our own hands for salvation. Father, we ask that we express an incredible gratitude by the way we live our lives, but that it might be gratitude and not obligation. We thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us.
also today, tomorrow. You're either free or you're not, right? And and I want you to think about that when you're thinking about the gift of Christ. I want you to think about that when you're thinking about men and women who serve in Memorial Day. You're either free or you're not. And if you are, live that way. Live that way. Perhaps that is, rather than sadness, that's the greatest expression of gratitude that there is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. We thank you for the freedom we have physically, politically. Uh, but we know that real freedom is eternal freedom. We know that it's spiritual freedom. We know that it is forever living and having a right to your incredible kingdom. And so, Father, for that, we find joy even in the darkest day of the darkest night. Father, we ask that you help us to remember, to express, 